0: Welcome to session two of our discussion of To Have Done with the Judgment of God by Anton Arto. Uh, I'm not going to introduce the text. We did that last time. We left off in the middle of the pursuit of fecality, probably the most difficult section, um, right around the point of the line, at this point, man withdrew and fled. That is where it starts to get lucid again. Um, Do we remember what sense we made of all the meat and shit and bones. Because I feel like uh reestablishing that is going to be necessary for inter- interpretation moving forward.
1: Yeah, I think we might just want to, since we didn't get too far into the pursuit of fecality, I think that's the best place to start.
2: Shiny, you're pretty lucid. Did you want to summarize the way that you'd kind of talked about it last time?
3: Uh, yeah, I think what I had said essentially was that... Um, because there's the equivocation of meat with shit and shit with being, that kind of meat is like fundamental to the substance of being, but then also, and then he distinguishes that, that from bone, uh, in that hum, uh, man prefers meat to bone, and yet he also states that in order to be someone, one must have a bone and brandish it. So essentially, both meat and bone are fundamental to being, uh but as I said earlier that there was a kind of contradiction there wherein humanity prefers the meat and yet needs the bone in order to truly be. So that I think that's sort of how I approached it.
0: And and I I'm still pretty confident in my interpretation of uh, connecting earth and bone and uh through earth connecting it back to the ritual before, uh, where they would peyote off the ground, crosses bedded in the ground, and the whole ritual place in what appeared to be some kind of um, hole in the ground or some, some depression in the ground. Um, so earth and bones um, are connected to kind of what is at the beating heart of being, as opposed to this um, this ephemeral, uh, possibly effluvial shit and meat to
1: yeah but i think there's um i think it's what makes it particularly difficult is it's hard to peg down exactly if being is really sort of looked up to or like um if it's something preferable here
0: i i don't know that he's taking a positive or negative attitude towards me. it's simply a fact that shit and being go together. Um, And and acknowledgement of shit, opening the anal pouch is kind of something that we have to do in order to be.
1: Right. Choosing to shit is choosing to be, or at least part of how we understand choosing to be. But he also seems to like, He seems to also be trying to say that there's something outside of that. There's an alternative.
0: Yeah, we kind of uh, took a Freudian reading at one point of choice to shit, and recognize that one shits before one ever has the opportunity to choose whether or not to shit. Like it's going to happen um, in in the you know infantile stage. It, it's going to happen, but later on, you start to make the deliberate choice. I don't know that this implies that there is an alternative, though. Because, yes, we choose to shit, but we also can't choose not to really.
1: Yeah. And and how I'm reading this, like I see the to me, there seems to be a critique of, of that that very notion, because I think what he's trying to do is understand being in a and even the body in a sense outside of that like i think he's trying to kind of get away from that exact model and go toward um right instead of going toward the anal pouch he's going toward the bone
2: i would agree with that yeah
0: yeah he he definitely does seem to um to privilege the bone and the earth um
1: it's and, and and kind of real
0: and and the the shit and the meat are just kind of something that is entailed in this process um, yeah so so there's a there's a contrast drawn between existing which only which only mean in, in order to exist uh one need only let oneself be, which as we've seen means shitting um but this is contrasted it against the living which is having a bone and being unafraid to show the bone
3: yeah there was something um there was, the, there was an interpretation I had come to in the last session as well, which was that because he says, says one must not be afraid to brandish the bone, or to, one must not be afraid to show the bone and to lose the meat. And because I was kind of reading meat as being equivocated with being, I think the interpretation for me was that in order to truly be, to be someone to live, one must not be afraid to lose being. Um, so you, you have to kind of, Live in a state where you're not afraid to, to 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 lose your being, to die essentially. Yeah, I agree with that.
1: Yeah, I think you're on the right track there because when he um when he finishes with the question of consent, right, he um and we get to the kaka, to he, he, he writes to exist one need only let oneself be, but to live one must be someone. So already we've got this movement um, outside of of it. There's this difference going on between um, being, living, and existing, right? Because he still uses, um, at least in the English translation, um, existence is simply letting yourself be. But living is being someone. And to be someone, you have to have the bone, right? and lose the meat in the process, which is, I think, where Shiny um, is getting to. So, I,
0: well, I don't think one has to lose the meat. One has to be unafraid to lose the meat.
3: Yeah, I would say, I would say that as well.
1: Uh, not be afraid to show the bone and to lose the meat in the process? Yeah.
2: I guess so I'm saying, we, we, saying that it's not necessary that you actually have to lose the meat, but to be ready to lose the meat, which does sort of resonate with what I was reading in the Derrida's piece on the theater of cruelty. When he talked about how Artaud was obsessed with the idea of against repetition and against the idea of, and wanting to uplift the idea of something that could be spoken one time and it would have a unique sort of force to it. Never repeatable in the, in the theatrical act, um, but that that is also sort of like an impossibility, and so it's, it, it ends up. It there is a form of repetition, but it's sort of the desire to that to not repeat, to not let that happen. That kind of drives his art. So I, I can kind of see that here.
1: See, that reminds me of uh, I would I would respond the Borges uh, manner of saying that, uh, you know, you can take Don Juan and recraft it today in pretty much the same way, and it'll be read completely differently. Um, So in a way, I I think Artaud kind of gets that. But you're probably right. It's probably not the way he's thinking of it. Um, But just out of curiosity, are you guys reading bone in a literal sense there? Or bone and meat in a literal sense?
0: I think probably to an extent it could apply to literal bone and meat, but I don't think that's the core of what he's talking about.
1: Okay, just making sure. Because... he, do, he does. He does seem to be saying that um, it's okay to lose the meat.
4: Yeah,
0: you have to. You have to take a risk in order to, to in order to be someone. Which you know, that kind of diluted reading it
4: comes even uncontroversial. I think. Um
0: we feel prepared to move on to the animals eating him i think so so at this point man withdrew and fled then the animals ate him it was not a rape he lent himself to the obscene meal he relished it he learned himself to act like an animal and to eat rat daintily what what do we make of that
1: you, you skipped the, um, the language before that
0: I I, I did but kind of de- by definition there's nothing to make of that right it's raw experience I I still think um, there's kind of a trajectory of increasing delirium through that section starting with the roar of kaka and ending with that um, that string of nonsense uh, and and it's just kind of demonstrating the the culmination of this
4: um, raw being.
2: Well, I do think he's kind of going, he's recounting this sort of pseudo parable here, which it reads sort of like scriptural to me. So he's mm-hmm. saying man was in this formless state. There was, what was it? The iron and the fire and all these things. And then, You know at this point man withdrew and fled and then the animals ate him so maybe we think about it in that way if like he's building a mythology or maybe critiquing existing mythologies as he's doing this
1: well remember um when we started um going into this dance there was something we needed to hear here something that um we need to experience in contradistinction to the um, uh, the sperm test of America, and the, um, the continual production of shoulders, uh, not shoulders of sol- soldiers, and um, the, 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 the fake nature versus real nature. But I don't know, if I'd be hesitant to say he's constructing a mythology.
0: I think he's constructing a mythology in the sense of a demonstrative story, not necessarily in the sense of a a doctrine to be repeated.
1: yeah I, I see I, I feel comfortable saying he's developing a ritual but I don't know if he's trying to create a a, um, a mythop- like I would agree there's a mythos here, but I don't know if I would agree there's a
5: mythos.
0: Well, if we uh, read right past um, where I stopped, and where does this foul debasement come from? The fact that the world is not yet formed, or that man has only a small idea of the world and wants to hold on to it forever? This comes from the fact that man, one fine day, stopped the idea of the world. Two paths were open to him, that of the infinite within, without, that of the infinitesimal within. this really sounds quite a bit like some kind of a creation story it, it, it is mythological at least the fact that it is perspective.
1: See, to me it's almost anti-mythological because I, I think what he's in part saying is the entire idea of the world has been stopped
0: that, that it, is the a idea. common myth theme but
5: uh, yeah. how would a myth without repetition work
1: Well, that's why I'm saying I don't think he's trying to I don't think he's trying to place this in the realm of myth, because I think he might. I think he might suggest that myth, it might be the stopping of an idea, or at least he might be. uh, The character might be afraid that that's going to be what happens.
2: Doesn't this sort of seem like we're splitting hairs a little bit here, though, because on one level, we have to aesthetically appreciate this piece. And he's clearly channeling different forms of elocution and address throughout the piece. And, you know, even since I read more about Arto and his life and the Derrida essay and other things, it's very clear that theological there's this whole concept of trying to create a non-theological space on the stage and displacing God, but that's not an, not an atheism. You know, there's all these ideas that he's channeling. And I would, I mean, all throughout, I, I get what you're saying. I And it's a compelling idea to say, it's not a myth. It's a ritual. It's a thing that's productive. Like we've been saying, it's doing something fair enough, but I don't, I mean, I don't think any one of us, I certainly wasn't trying to say he's developing a doctrine or something. It's not really that I just mean that it's, I don't think we can understand the section if we don't see that he's slipping into this kind of storytelling mode yeah. that is maybe <laughs> similar to the, to the sun ritual where he's saying there's a cycle and, Man was formless, and then he went, he had a choice which direction was he going to go? And he went this way instead of that way. Like, that is a very common trope of this kind of storytelling. So, I, I don't think we need to prove whether he's actually building a mythology.
1: Yeah, I'm not trying to disagree with the storytelling element of it, but I'm, I'm skeptical to say he's trying to build a myth.
4: Well, so what can we take
2: from the text then? Uh, I mean, so we're, we're looking at this section. Um talks about the animals eating him. So there's some kind of sacrifice that he's saying that man gives himself over to. So that's one element. And then there's the element, as you said, of the world stopping. And then these paths opening up. I feel like after the paths open up, I'm with him again. But it's it's in between this section that I'm a little bit lost. Well, be, be
1: careful there because the, this... I don't read this as a sacrifice. I read this as a foul debasement um, because that's how he refers to it. I think when he's talking about man relishing uh, to be eaten by an animal, uh, I, to me, that goes back to the, de- the desiring of shit. Um, to, I, I read that kind of as that's the ultimate outplay of man desiring shit is to become shit, which is to, to in part also be consumed.
3: Right, well, I think um, man choosing to be eaten is also him uh, showing the bone and not being afraid to lose the meat.
0: I would agree with that connection, yeah. That seems sound.
5: So are we firm on this uh, possibility of choice? I mean, kind of late in the discussion, maybe you went over this yesterday while I was absent, but uh, are you guys all on board that... the? this uh, man who's in question is choosing anything of these
0: anything here i I think man making a choice is one of the core things here the nature of that choice is complicated and subtle Mm
2: -hmm. Um, i mean we did talk uh, yesterday about whether or not i I was saying i don't know if you can call it a choice because in a way it is a choice but then it's like a forced choice, because right. even going by what Jacob Hart said, if you look at the the re modo to dire diza Taodari, dari dopa that section, it is interesting to kind of look at, at this point, man withdrew and fled as a response to that, of like, there was this, you know, before there was no being to win, there was only life to lose, then just shouting, you know, stuff in the void that is incomprehensible, and man withdraws and flees from that, and instead chooses to give himself over to finite you know, creation as he understands it. You know oh, that that's oh, makes sense. That actually kind of makes sense to me, thinking of so, it that way. So. But but that it's when we talk about the choice, like he says before, that he'd have to choose to die living or agree to shit, basically. So it's like there's no real way to agree to die living because that's an overwhelming like experience of revelation or something.
0: I, sorry, sorry I'll cut I cut you off now. No, I, I was cutting you off. <laughs> uh, I no, I, I think we we all agree that the the thing that's being chosen is a way of experiencing something. Maybe that's a way to put it. Um, you're gonna shit. You you can't not shit. You're going to you're going to be. You can't not be. But you can lean into the experience or not.
1: Could you show us where in the, the text um, you're seeing that? Because, again, he, he calls this act of being in a foul debasement.
5: I see many of these, um, many of the themes that are being um, corrected in, in this text as, um, some kind of unavoidable you know uh, pose through which any uh, let's call them human right, must go through but uh, with which one can do away with right by choice this is how I see it on a global level at least right even though as I think Mal said right you can't not be at first you cannot um uh, Abjure, right? Uh, the state, maybe through some later progression, uh, <clears throat> you grow out of it in, in any way, right? Maybe this is what's uh, going on with God, right? As in the God, the figure of God is being imposed, and then we do away with him. And I saw this uh, also with the notion of, I think, bone, but I may be mistaken.
4: Here.
2: I mean, I think it's safe to say he's he is obviously working with paradoxes, you know, because even, you know, I won't, I won't jump ahead. But in the following section, he's talking about, you know, which he chose the infinitesimal and then God being the one that's actually leading that process. Like he's both talking about choice and things being led by a God who is a non-existent God. You know, he's obviously playing with these things. So I think we have to, I don't know, figure out a way to think of both of them at the same time, in a sense.
0: There's a, a pivot point here that I, I think we haven't paid adequate attention to, and that is the, the line, at this point, man withdrew and fled. And the question for me arises, uh, why and what is he fleeing from?
1: I think it's very worthwhile to note two of that. So when you, this is why I think it's really important to look at that language right there, because that flows right into at this point man withdrew and fled there's not a line break at least not in my copy so you know one way of looking at it is almost kind of like an incantation although i, I hate to use that word because it's not the it's got connotations i don't think are appropriate but well every word will reaction to that right um, I,
0: yeah, I, I liked Park Bench's interpretation where man might even, if I was interpreting them correctly, where man might be fleeing from this gibberish. I think it's fair to call it gibberish. Um, that that at this point in the ritual, man is withdrawing and fleeing from the process that unfolds.
5: That's, a, that's an interesting perspective, but uh, if we view the ritual... <clears throat> As a kind of uh, non artificial, right? Uh, Non artificial, like, uh, manifestation of language, then uh, why is this man running from it, right? Because um, we were talking yesterday about this fake naturality, right? If I'm not mistaken, and uh, something being natural. And here we see the juxtaposition of the American military system and and the later tribes, right? And then I wonder if these uh, tribal rituals are actually something which, in their ritual progression, right, becomes uh, anti natural, right? Maybe I'm not making sense, but I I think the main question is why would uh, this man? Uh, run away from gibberish, if I'm going to call it
1: that. I, I think you're actually closer um, um than than you might be giving yourself credit for. Um, I, I think you're you're very on top of it because remember, man is withdrawing and fleeing to be eaten by the animals um, to continue in this process of desiring to be shed and kind of playing it out to its its absolute right. Um, you know, this is where the, the absence of want, of shit and wanting to shit uh, sort of leads one to become shit, right, to be consumed. Mm-hmm. I think man's fleeing, particularly in reference to the oreje modo tuidire tiza ta gari do padera coco, I think in part because that form of expression seems to work outside of that paradigm.
2: What he's trying
1: yeah, to break of, with it. Go ahead,
2: Parker. Mm-hmm. I was going to say yeah, that's kind of uh, again. If we read the part right before it, it again, he's he, to me he's kind of evoking that scriptural mode where he says, "Where there was only blood and a junkyard of bones, and where there was no being to win, but there was only life to lose." Oh, reche modo to adire diza, and then you know, all those elocutions, and then at this point, man withdrew and fled. Like to me, it's why would man flee from that? Because Man, as we understand it, is incapable of you know processing or accepting that kind of infinitude. If I, he's going to be I, a partial being, he it's he can't process, he can't accept it, so he has to flee.
0: I just noticed something that may be crucial um, that uh, plain language right before the the gibberish is not a complete sentence. In order to have shit that is meat, and then there's this whole clause about where. Um but there's no verb. The verb is the, the verbal clause at is at this point man with flat. I think that's one
2: sentence.
4: I
1: see it as interrupting because um if what you mean is uh where he says, but where there was only life to lose and then he gives that, that little piece there. Mm-hmm. which then goes into at this point, man with Drew and Fled. I see that as the the narrator um, sort of interrupting to make that remark. Um, in, in a way, it's like if you've ever read a play, right, There's a, in the play there's someone noting what's going on, but usually in brackets. To me, this is the narrator doing that without the brackets.
0: Yeah, I think it is parenthetical, whether it's the same voice. I think it might also be the same voice. But it might also be a Um,
1: different. I I agree; it's the same voice. Go ahead.
0: But that uh, trying to connect what's before and after the gibberish that would make the kind of core of the sentence. In order to have shit, man withdrew and fled.
2: I think it can kind of work on both levels. Actually, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, Mel. I I, that's pretty much what I'm getting out of this. In in order to keep that desiring, and in order to play it out. Man withdraws, flees, and goes and plays an out, right? And I I, I would mm-hmm. even go so far as to note that it's not even what um uh the narrator is trying to get at, right? Uh like being reduced to a carcass and um and into shit, uh, you know, that separation is, is not what our toes uh trying to to discuss.
0: Mm-hmm. And and let's let's note that uh, you know after being eaten, he relished it. He learned himself to act like an animal and to eat rat daintily. Like this isn't this doesn't kill him,
2: or or exactly. at least not in any final sense.
1: Exactly.
2: Who's the one who had his liver continually eating eaten out again? Which myth was that?
4: Prometheus. Prometheus.
2: I mean, fitting, isn't it?
0: Uh, So then, uh, maybe Arto is going to answer some of our questions. Where does this foul debase come from? The the next line is also a question. The fact that the world is not yet formed, or that man has only a small idea of the world and wants to hold on to it forever. Uh, Then, finally, what appears to me to be an answer. This comes from the fact that man, one fine day, stopped the idea of the world. which entailed choosing the infinitesimal within the exclusion of the infinite without such that one need only squeeze clean the tongue, the anus, the glam. And this is where God comes in.
1: So what do you guys make out of, them? Um, right? He, he gives a question following a question there. What's he um, suggesting?
0: I think the second question is kind of a proposal that he wants to preempt and disagree with. He's he, he explicitly is saying man stopped the world. And this is in direct contrast to uh, the alternative of the world having not yet formed. Or the or the actually, there are two proposals there, or that man has only a small idea of the world and wants to hold on to it forever so it's not it's not before the world, it's not a um a perpetual continuation of the world, it is the end of the world.
1: Let me ask you this: what's the difference between the world and the earth
4: hmm
0: That's a good question. It's uh, Well, so I, I think the world would be connected to the infinite without um, because he's choosing the infinitesimal within to the exclusion of the infinite without. that would that seems to square with the idea of stopping the infinite without if we can identify that with the world. Um, to bring the bone and blood and earth imagery, back into this. I'm not sure how to do that.
1: It is interesting, though, right, that uh, at least the translator feels that uh, the word Earth isn't what's going on there. It's not the idea of the the earth that's stopping it's the idea of the world which yeah, might situate
3: ourselves Go i always ahead. thought that the earth more referred to like the physical planet and that the, the world was more of a conceptual idea
0: i i roughly agree with that i, I don't think it would be apt to equate them here So this, this stopping of the world and choosing of the infinitesimal within, that is to say the organ, uh, consists in, it is, it is where the foul disma- debasement comes from. The foul debasement dis- being withdrawing, fleeing, being eaten, and learning to act like an animal. So it is the choice of the infinitesimal within that, uh, that causes this fleeing from, from this crisis where there is only life to lose and no being to win. It's fleeing from the, from the danger of losing the meat.
1: I like where you're That's heading it. with that. But now let me ask another question. So what we're seeing here, how does this help explain what's going on in the beginning of the ritual with the six men on Sitz crosses before Sitz sons in contrast to the seventh man? Because I think this is where that's going to start to tie together.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so I, I think we can probably start by kind of mapping out his attitudes towards these, right? He, he seems to like the idea of showing the bone and being unafraid to lose the meat um this is distinguished against withdrawing fleeing learning to act like an animal and gaining organs um and we know he he's he's a big fan of that ritual he described Uh, so we should expect it to relate to a willingness to lose the meat um a willingness to show the bone, and indeed, we see uh, at the very end there some kind of injury has occurred. Uh, the man, the naked man on the horse, holds up an enormous horseshoe which he has dipped in a gash of
2: blood,
1: and it's it's that man, who um, to quote Arto, is a horse, a horse with a man leading him but it is the horse who is the son and not the man.
0: Yeah, he, he seems to, like, contradict himself and revise himself there. He, he doesn't seem committed to any one way of... Uh, he doesn't seem committed to an exclusive disjunction between son, horse, and man. He wants to establish an inclusive relation between them.
1: Yeah, and it, it helps to kind of demystify that, to think of it in contrast to the other sits men. Who are, are who are? Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think they're on the crosses. Oh no, no, I don't think they are on the cross. But there's the six men, um, one for each son, right? Mm-hmm. The seventh man doesn't have that same relationship. Oh this is very funny.
4: Go ahead. uh, As a quick digression, you know, uh, if
5: any one of you has read the thousand plateaus, in the plateau where there's an Atari critique Freud's interpretation of the wolfman's dream, there is again a multiplicity of these uh, wolves in the dream. And the main point of critique in this plateau is that... Freud elevates one of these wolf, wolves and uh, assigns a kind of transcendent function right? which uh, somebody from the Lacanian tradition would have called a function of the transcendent signifier. Right, And this uh, this kind of elevation right, of one above the others, where there is in fact a kind of multiplicity of entities is uh, I think it's something we shouldn't do even here, right? When we have these six men, right, et cetera, whatever. We, I think we shouldn't just uh, think of them as six men plus this one more, right? Which is something else. Or, uh, <clears throat> I mean, I'm not sticking to the text. I'm just giving a kind of abstract paradigm. But, yeah.
1: You know, one thing that's interesting, you know, too, though, is usually the notion of transcendence um, implies a verticality uh, that I think mm-hmm. is often met with a sense of vertigo. But here, mm-hmm. uh, here it's really interesting because the man, the seventh man, distinct from the other sits, is also a horse, but uh, it is a horse with a. But he's a horse with a man leading him. So we understand the seventh man differently than the other sits, which is uh, to say that the man is a horse with a man leading him. Which is,
5: a, I, don't, I don't know. Again, what's mm, transcendent. Sun, and then who is the son of the raw? What's this uh, son of the raw? And how is it not exchangeable, right?
1: we might question if the raw if the sun in the raw is the black sun if that's the kind of transformation uh being elicited here
0: i well so they um there seem to be so before, when he introduces the ritual he talks about killing the sun to establish the kingdom of black i don't know that there is a black sun um Although it says the right of the black sun, maybe this is black sun in the sense of like extinguished sun. Um, notably, it is a black horse. I just caught that detail. But the the kind of core of the ritual is never explicit about this. But a couple images seem to imply that they're doing some kind of violence to the horse.
4: That they might they're they're like beating the shit out of this horse. That is to say, the killing.
0: Where do you see that? Uh, After they leap up, they advance in winding circles, and the horse of bleeding meat rears and prances without a stop. Um, First of all, bleeding would seem to imply that it's wounded, and second of all, rearing and prancing would seem to imply that it's distressed. Um, And finally, in abolition of the cross. the naked man on the horse holds up an enormous horseshoe, which he has dipped in a gash of his blood. So again, there's an indication of kind of violence. And and lastly, of course, we know that the goal of this ritual is to kill the sun, and the horse is the sun.
1: And abolishing the cross.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, there there are six crosses that they uproot at the very end so that the spaces of spaces can never again meet and cross.
4: So to connect all that bloodiness
0: uh, to the pursuit of fecality, we see blood entering the picture. Man was afraid of losing shit, or rather, he desired shit, and for this, sacrificed blood in order to have shit that is meat where there was only blood in a drunk yard of bone, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm, mm. I don't know. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of parallels, but I'm struggling to make the. When
5: I think about when you say that you struggle with the parallels is that I think that that's maybe intentional with our toe right It's not like we can uh, draw a straight line right and <clears throat> put certain things on one side and the other things on the other right and equate some of these notions that I feel that something like that or assigning values to either side or to notions mm-hmm. on both sides. Wouldn't be exactly what um, what this is about.
4: Yeah, I I I think
5: we were pretty close, and I can get behind the the ellipsis around this uh, gibberish, what we call gibberish, in order to have shit that is me at this point.
4: Man with jewel and fled. That's an interesting concept to me.
2: Maybe we need to keep reading even because uh, I think think it's kind of hard right at this point to come up with how exactly it parallels the ritual, but he is bringing in, you know, God and theology in a big way in this section so it could help eliminate maybe for us.
0: Yeah, so um, when man chooses the infinitesimal within where one need only squeeze the spleen, the tongue, the anus, or the glands and God God himself squeezed where God's judgment enters into the picture. Is God a being? If he is one, he is shit. If he is... He exist? Drawing upon his earlier theory that being entails shit. Um, but then says, God does not exist except as the void that approaches with all its form, perfect image is the advance of an incalculable group of crab lights. Um, um, I, I i'm I'm kind of reading that as saying that God is this ideal against which everything else is contrast. the void that approaches with all its form perfect image
4: is parasitic essentially. What other people think of that?
2: I just I thought that was a great image of the crab lice because he's sort of he's he's if he is one if he's this thing that we imagine him to be as this solid entity then the only thing he can be is the our life force itself and if he's not that then he doesn't exist but the what he is isn't like i don't know you know the, he's he he goes on to say he denies baptism the mass all kinds of you know the typical images of the the father god that we would kind of have and uh, you know the crab lice thing is very we're trying our best not to prefigure other theorists here but it is it's a very kind of delusian image of like it's this dispersed thing that you can't exactly pin down but forms the negative space around other things no. um, there was a quote from from arto actually in the derrida reading that i thought was great where he says art is not the imitation of life but life is the imitation of a transcendental principle which art puts us into communication with once again and I, I think I see a little bit of that in here. And that well yeah, I, I won't I won't go on with that, but I, I see some of that in here.
4: So then he talks about
0: uh says there's nothing. there's no human act more pernicious than the descent of the so-called Jesus Christ onto the altar. Which is interesting. He he doesn't seem to have a problem with the altars. He's the problem with Jesus descending on the altar?
3: Um, yeah, I had a a thing to say about that specific line actually, which is interesting in that he refers to it as the Jesus Christ, you know, with the dash and and all uh, lowercase it's he's essentially referring it referring to it as an object rather than as you know a proper noun uh, individual
0: yeah that 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 is interesting like it's um it it, it he's denying
4: it personhood essentially He
0: also gives his own pet theory about what Christ is. so-called Christ is none other than he who in the presence of the crab God consented to live without a body while an army of men has revolted and advances reviling the invisible to have done with God's judgment. So, so what's the so, relationship between... Jesus and this army of men.
1: And how does it help us understand the one man among the six? Mm
4: -hmm.
1: It's not to say they're the same person, but again, I think this is where everything starts to really kind of tie together and also untie.
2: I think it's interesting that he says, because I was trying to piece through this the first time, but maybe might be. I think I might get something out of this when he says he consented to live without a body while an army of men descended from a cross. So, and initially I was thinking that that must be connected to the ritual, but to me, do you not think that that might almost be a way of talking about the world and that was birthed out of out of the Christian movement and uh, the whole idea of transubstantiation, like everything that, that the men coming down from the cross that came out of the Christ, like, because it doesn't seem to parallel with what happens in the ritual of if you're destroying crosses, it's different from coming down from them.
5: But I don't think that they came from Christ. I think uh, the next line uh, is revealing to me when, when he says, to which God thought he had long since nailed them. They're not a direct product of God, but rather only nailed to the cross by God. They they are His subjects, His children, Uh, right? From which, from which they uh, later uh, distance themselves. Right? They go away from the cross.
0: Mm -hmm. And and, you know, this is middle of twentieth century France. I I think he would have seen seen plenty around him of people railing against. no conventional traditional morality the the cross to which they had once been nailed he would have counted himself among the, that number
2: but interestingly he says two things i mean again it says a cross descended from a cross so it's not like multiple crosses but then the, he says that they've revolted with steel blood fire and bones reviling the invisible which I th- i think that's interesting too because it seems to me that for our toe, the invisible, the infinite without—these are things which you should want. You should want to move towards, rather than away from, to have done with God's oh. judgment. So there's something uh, critical. I think the infinite this. without yeah. is
4: visible. Okay. I, I think. So. The, the, so.
0: I think the invisible is here referring to the the transcendent, the um, the referring to God, basically, in the more abstract kind of dominating morality, which... Right. Uh, but also
4: if we...
5: if we juxtapose this uh, transcendence with immanence, and also if we juxtapose <clears throat> what was it? The invisible with the visible, and the infinite without, and the infantism with it, right? each of them having their proper side. And if we see our toes man choosing this side of imminence and this side of materiality and the sign of infinitesimal within right wouldn't this invisible also be the transcendent and also be the idealist out of which Artaud is trying to move
0: I, I yeah and i think he um, i think he connects that with the infinitesimal within
5: I think you're I'm on being the right. too systemic, but I feel that like the intelligible within is from is on the part of the story and the visible materialist, etc.
1: I think you're on the right track when he says that the so-called Christ is none other than he who in the presence of the crowd laws God consented to live without a body. Right? So he's calling into question the um the idea of Christ here. Um who is in the presence of the Krablau's God, consenting to live without a body?
0: I think he might actually be appropriating the image of Jesus, keeping its Savior status, but as a Savior from
5: God. I think that this without a body is maybe maybe the most important thing we've got here. And I, I think that I like, chose being kind of critical of it. I mean, from my reading at least. The, there's a kind of pejorative, you know, judgment of this uh, God who consented to live this way. And this way might be without a body. Right? So, or to say without him and instead without. Uh, I,
0: yeah, I, th- I think we'll uh, be able to make better sense of that line when we get to his later exhortations about being a body.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. I think you're right, Mal. The notion he's developing of a body there's going to be very important here to try and understand what it means that, um, right, the Christ figure is one consenting to live without a body, which brings to mind again the consenting to shit. When we go back to that, oh. that very first um, part of the play, that what I call the prescript of it all. Um, remember he he writes. Um, I I think this is word for word. Everything must be arranged to a hair in a fulminating order, which I think is kind of what we're seeing here is the arrangement of a fulminating order.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you uh, think that the consenting to live without a body to me, it seems like it's distinct from the other kind of thing of being eaten alive. Or you know, being eaten by the animals and consenting to yeah. be
4: eaten—it yeah. seems
2: like a slightly different kind of thing. So I wonder if we have to distinguish that. To uh,
0: to be eaten is to lose the body, maybe, and and I th- I think this also I think losing the body is the is entailed in it. it it's basically the same thing as um, gaining the organ.
5: Two ways of, there are two ways to lose the body, right? I you can lose the body by uh, giving yourself to this natural order, letting yourself be eaten by animals, and then consenting, or even going by you know, by choice or will to a kind of easier or transcendent option.
0: Right? I think these are two ways of describing the same thing.
5: Well, I
1: I think you're pretty on point there, Mal. I I think if this might help, um, losing the body seems to be losing the bone. Yes. Not the meat, which is what's happening when you're consuming or being consumed. And then you're, you're shit out and then you go off and eat rats. Right. Like that's still a very meat focused understanding of being um, what he's trying to get at with the body is going somewhere else. And the the reason I bring up the fulminating order um, is I I think how I'm understanding this particular, this particular stanza um, is that the, the people who wouldn't believe him about this are the very people pouring out of the cross
0: i think he places himself among the people descended from the cross revolting against the invisible
5: i think too yeah to have done i mean, don't see that i don't see that but then, i mean isn't his uh, whole project called that? in this uh, radio play to have done with the judgment of god right yeah he I, puts I, himself along the same lines of the people who are descending from the cross Well, let's say distancing themselves
2: from God's judgment. So just to understand, so are you understanding to have done with God's judgment as this form of, it's like to be, to no longer need it. Is that what you're saying? To to do away with it. Right.
0: Because God is connected to the formation of the organs and, and he will get very explicit at the end that he fucking hates organs. So these people railing against God, that is to say railing against the organ, he seems he would have an affinity with them.
4: Have you
1: noticed that the word organ is within the word organization?
5: Yes.
4: i, I mean, going to read yeah. a bit with that.
5: I uh, uh, referenced yesterday in the Thousand Plateaus, that there's this... Uh, They're just saying that they're not uh, particularly against organs, but rather organization. Mm -hmm. Artaud doesn't
0: seem to make that distinction.
1: And that's why I say, I don't think he's finding himself among these people. Um, How so? There seems to me to be a double image here. There's one of... um, there's at one time the so-called Christ, which is supposed to kind of teach us something about what, what Christ is and what Christ is not, or at least to, to unfurl these notions. I'm not trying to say that he's trying to preserve the notion of Christ, but there seems to be something he's trying to get at in a, in a sort of doubling way, a a a juxtaposition, which I think ties into that first part about the fulminating order. Um, Especially when we have people descending from the cross, which I read is like an outflow yeah, um, revolting. Right.
0: Uh, how about we move on, because I do want to try to get to the end of the text
4: today. Okay. So then he starts talking
0: about infinity and nothing. What makes it serious is that we know that after the order of this world, there is another. We don't know what it's like. The number and order of possible supervision, supposition within this realm is precisely infinity.
4: What is, is infinity? Very, that
0: is precisely what we do not know.
5: This is a very Leibnizian notion, I feel. How so? Well, Leibniz. Uh... Let me conceive the infinite numbers of worlds, right? R is being the best one, uh, as is popularly contested, right? Right, yeah.
0: I, I also see um, specifically Holland's interpretation of Deleuze and Guattari in this, where the body without organs is the tabula rasa, it is that which establishes the possibility of an infinity of organizations.
4: Could you show me where in
0: the
1: in the, the poem you're, you're seeing that?
0: Uh, the number and order of possible suppositions in this realm is precisely infinity and which is kind of core to Holland's interpretation of the body without organ.
1: Okay, so you're connecting those interpret you're, you're, you're interpreting that in light of Holland.
4: Yeah.
2: I mean, I think this whole section is great I mean, it, it goes on for a bit but it, it, all the way down to the section where he's talking about appetites it seems like a very nicely put you know, poetic way of talking about the, exactly what he was preoccupied with about the, the limitations of language the impossibility of representation and even, you know, stuff we've talked about that you know, we say consciousness from the side of consciousness, but there are a hundred thousand other sides. So it's, it's actually one of the more relatable parts of the play to me. I like the, uh,
4: the explanation
5: of infinity, the opening toward possibility beyond measure and tireless and beyond measure.
2: Yeah, and then he goes into this, what what I always think of as a quite Buddhist way of approaching the idea of the self or or consciousness, where he's kind of debunking bit by bit why these different appetites and desires aren't themselves consciousness, just because we feel them, because we can imagine states of experiencing them and, and it being uh, sort of trivial or secondary to that state of existing or being conscious.
4: Mm-hmm. I, I,
0: I um, The line, it seems that consciousness in us is linked to sexual desire and to hunger, but it could just as well not be linked to them. I feel like he is addressing that to his own therapists.
2: Yeah, totally. The, the no, when he gets to the no of the therapists, <laughs> trying mm-hmm. to psychoanalyze him.
0: So then, what's the alternative that he's sketching out? One says, one can say, consciousness is an appetite. The space of possibility was given to me one day like a loud fart that I will make, but neither of space nor possibility did I know precisely what it was, and I did
4: not feel the need to think about it. Mm -hmm. Abolish the idea,
0: the idea and its myth, to enthrone in its place thundering manifestation of this explosive necessity to dilate the body of my internal night, the internal nothingness of myself, which is night, nothing, thoughtless, but which is explosive affirmation that there is something to make room for my body.
1: Wow, that's a lot of touch you're going through, man
0: it's like he's not i i was trying to get to a point right but he he keeps throwing out ideas and i I didn't feel like there was a point he was making at the very end
1: maybe i think he gives you quite a bit when he talks about the space of um was it the space of possibility in relation Mm -hmm. to um the language that uh we we previously uh dismissed as gibberish
0: Right, but I don't think we dismissed it as gibberish.
5: Yeah, maybe we just affirmed it as gibberish, and uh, gibberish—I mean, for me at least—doesn't really mean that it signifies nothing.
4: It's
1: to me what he's saying is that that very language he's throwing there is a—it is possibility, but not in in the meta, put it this way, it's a meta possible remark, right? It's a remark about possibility in space that goes outside of those two things.
2: That is interesting. I hadn't thought of this section as describing those kinds of, you know, the outbursts, the, the language and the gibberish, but it kind of does fit in a way because he's saying mm-hmm. words invented to define things that existed or didn't exist. But just in the face of this pressing urgency, which is the need to abolish the idea as, you know, in its totality, the idea in its myth, to enthrone in its place this thundering manifestation, explosive necessity, you know, that that does seem to parallel um, the role that those those grunts and noises have in this. I I, I think the uh, gibberish
4: would be one of the the thundering
2: manifestations. Yeah, I agree.
1: I think that's where he's getting at too. Is when we go inside the self, right? It's nothingness. It, to me, what I part of what I'm connecting here is that uh, that nothingness is illuminated by a black sun, and what what that means is that that can't be understood in quite the the way we're immediately drawn to do it. That's kind of what he's. Um, Autopsy, autopsyizing someone with better words, maybe autopsyizing, topsicizing.
0: I, I don't know the word where I'd help you
1: performing an autopsy on. Thank you. Uh, um, thank you, participles. Yeah,
0: it, it seems like he, he's affirming the self as a particular kind of uh, nothing which is laden with potential. It, it is the nothing that permits one to be liberated from a particular shackling reality.
3: That reminds like like I said and I think in the last session of the the creative nothing in uh sterner, It's exactly that. It's a self which is nothing but which has the the potential for affirmation and uh, you know creative action essentially. And it's interesting also if one speaks about uh sterner that he goes on to name all these things and then he says that they're nothing to him which is of course reminiscent of the line uh all things are nothing to me which is in uh the unique and its own
4: i dare say we've
0: made good sense of
1: yeah i'm seeing it as like the self that is not to be understood in the sense of the self in the sense of the world stopped like those, that very, that very world he's trying to set back into motion as I see it, which means mm-hmm. those, yeah. those, um, I don't want to call them reified, but those, those notions that we rely on is not changing are, are, are going to be, um, to use Andrew's word, part of an autopsy. thank you again for the the English.
0: Yeah, the the organs and the crosses are opponents of this internal nothingness, this uh, creative nothing, which I, I think is probably an apt connection.
1: Right, because they can't move, they can't change, they can't be outside of this, this stagnation.
5: I would like to get into the end of what Mal has read. Uh, namely my body so uh what is the reading of the body that comes out out, out of the uh, following paragraphs because I, again i feel that there are two conceptions of the body the one pre-given and the one at which we arrive after all of these processes uh that we've gone through right one can call it the body without organs when we come to the end but what we've seen with the uh to giving oneself to the animal and then giving oneself to, to this uh, transcendence. I feel that there are uh, different readings of the potentiality of the body, the different possibilities of what the body becomes eventually.
1: Yeah, there's an alternative going on, right? Because, um, so I, I think you're looking at, right, um, after he gets through the, the contemplation of the self, um, he says, sort of like with this thoughtlessness, um, the, uh, but which is explosive affirmation, that there is something to make room for, my body. So we, we previously dismissed the idea of space, right? Now we're making room for his body, which means the, I think kind of the, the, Structure that he's been working with. Um, what he's clearing is room for his very body. I think that's very focused and connected to the the experience of suffering
0: that yeah. he's um,
4: working mm-hmm.
1: on. And
0: I, I think immediately after that, we start getting a clearer picture of what he means by body. With and truly, must it be reduced to the stinking gas, to my body, to say that I have a body because I have a stinking gas that forms inside me? So this is a, a repudiation of the idea of identifying the body as this kind of lived thing with any particular biological process. He's using, he's using flatulence as the, as the paradigmatic example of that.
1: Right. And remember that flatulence, that um, putrid effluvia, brings us back to the notion of being. What he's getting at is, is, this, is a, this is a body completely outside of that it can't be understood by that trace of being which uh we, we come to know through the nose here right and
0: he uh and he has affirmed of course that where there is being it stinks of shit right like if you're going to be there's going to be shit he's not going to say that he's not going to fart but he in order to be someone to have a bone you must be afraid unafraid to lose the meat the shit the gastrointestinal tract that creates this fart you need to be unafraid to disassociate yourself from it because again it's not going to literally go away but you need to be unafraid of losing it from yourself
1: right we're 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 going away from that notion of being and we're going to um a notion of of somebody right Mm -hmm. quite literally here we're talking about the body in connection with um somebody an affirmation of that, as um, to use his word,
0: the possibility of which is um, is strangulated by God,
4: which which seems to be a
0: stand-in for normativity, normativity. to use a big broad word.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're you're on your way there. Um,
0: it, it's hard to find one word to encapsulate it.
1: One thing I noticed, too, is he uses God, little g, and then in another place, big g. But um, remember, God is the cra- crab louse that um, all of this takes place in front of through consent, right? Which is um, something he's I, I, I see as a double image, is it, him railing against and, and sort of um, invoking at the same time.
0: Mm. So if, if we want to... Uh look back at his description of Jesus Christ as somebody who consented to live without a body, I think we can now clearly see that this is a very different thing from living without organs. It is, in fact, living with nothing but organs, perhaps.
4: I
5: mean, mean, again, uh, I read a total enduring of transcendence there. Maybe Mm -hmm. this is too simplistic, but I really think that this is what he's getting at.
0: Yeah, Jesus Christ as the paradigmatic non-body. I,
1: I think you want to be careful yeah. with the notion of transcendence because I feel like that brings in, like, Husserl and, and quite a bit.
0: A transcendent in a common English. Transcendent okay. in the religious sense, right?
1: Yeah. Okay, just making sure, because, like, that, that, that's like a trigger word, right? Just like saying, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. like, that's like every philosopher in the world uh it's like a dog whistle for them.
2: You know, it just occurred to me too that we're, one thing that we're not connecting, it's it's trivial, but I do think it's important, is when you take the Eucharist, the co-orthodox understanding is that you are eating the body of Christ. And in this, he specifically like, you know, why bring up the mass? You could just start talking about Jesus. But he specifically says, I deny baptism and then mass. And this this act of, jesus christ descending onto the altars i.e like the eucharist is this intensely erotic act so then in light of that thinking about i almost wonder if that's another way of looking at it too that jesus christ he agreed he consented to live without a body because he you know just other people to allow other people to consume it in a sense
1: dude I i love what you're bringing in there especially because you you touch on the eroticism right that seventh man who also happens to be, um, a horse leading a man, uh, regale is he's a virgin, right? What you just described there, I think is a very clear, um, dismissal or at least, um, criticism of the, of the a sort of erotic appetite, um, appetite, right? Like we could almost say that part of the eroticism stems from wanting a body. And, and at the same, while at the same time, um, sort of not wanting your your body,
0: I, uh, Park Bench also reminded me of or prompted a, a connection for me um, between Jesus as the one who consented to live with a, without a body and subsequently be consumed in the mass with. Man fleeing and then being eaten by the animals. I, I think this might be the same act, and Jesus is kind of the paradigm to be followed.
4: Yeah, I, I, I think
1: that, you're really the to something there. Go ahead, Andrew.
0: The paradigm for
5: what? I didn't catch it.
0: um To give up one's body and be eaten by the animals, and we as we saw, uh this act makes man into an animal. So.
4: But again, uh, I can't seem to treat this as the same.
5: I mean, one is profoundly, you know, natural and let's say encoded in in the in the flux of nature, and the other, the other, totally
4: transcendent, right? Totally I, I don't think it's talking about. Connected.
0: I don't think with being eaten by the animals, he's talking about any kind of natural food chain kind of thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The animals are well, no, that's different.
1: The, it, right. it helps to to recognize too, with the animals, he immediately calls into attention sexuality by saying that it was not a rape. There, there's almost, um, I don't know if you guys have ever read like J.G. Ballard, but there's yeah. this, this eroticism connected to like a death drive, mm-hmm. right? and, He's very much, I think, um, trying to go somewhere else in the sense of that, like that. That whole eroticism is not for our toe here. He wants he doesn't want to be um, to have like a penis mind or anything like that. Um, he's he's going somewhere completely different um, where, where the Virgin is the pre- preferable um, point of view, which is oddly re- religious to <laughs> religious and carnal anti-carnal right (laughs)
0: well carnal
1: in the sense of meaty exactly
2: (laughs) it's interesting too though because i noticed that in the section that we were on just before that um when we were talking about the the moment when he's talking about the internal nothingness and all that he also uses the phrase body there where he says to dilate the body of my internal night Mm -hmm. okay which is so it's so there's different it's almost like he's playing with that the body of his internal night that is a kind of a body but then he's then it seems to me distinguishing that when he's saying it's an explosive affirmation that there's something i wonder if you could almost say else in parentheses to make room for my body like the body of my internal night is not the same as my body and that's the part where I'm, I'm going back and forth in this. But in our discussion, I, I, I seem to think from the rest of the poem slash play that he identifies this thing called my body as, as mostly a negative thing. Like I know we've talked about that there's this way of like you, if you just repudiate the body altogether, then there's no bone either. Fair enough. But I think whenever he brings up my body, it's always a form of like it's a limitation of some kind of everything that he could be inside of him. But weirdly, that internal nothingness, it's not even that he says the body, he has to push aside the nothingness to make room for my body. He says that that internal nothingness itself is an explosive affirmation Mm -hmm. that there is that, you know, room for this other thing, which, again, I think we can definitely connect back to all the Deleuzian stuff of how of production, anti-production kind of thing of like these things are happening simultaneously And as much as he wants to be able to access that internal nothingness, it's also the whole structure of his being or of his self that also allows him to sort of, or forces him into the fiction or the experience of having a body in a way.
0: Well, so I I think that the body is the nothingness. Um, It's to kind of take a, a pass at a simplistic definition. The body for Artaud might be, the locus of experience, and this isn't necessarily the physical body. In fact, it might be smaller than the body, or indeed larger than the physical body. It is, in any case, not identifiable with the fixed systems of understanding and mapping out experience. Um,
2: right, that makes and, sense.
0: And in this way, I, I think the Deleuzoguattarian concept of the body without organs is, to a large extent, just a, a straightforward plausible interpretation of what he's sketching out here it is nothingness but with an eye towards opening up the space of possibilities. towards saying no 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 i'm not going to be this one fixed thing
1: yeah and i think i think we can safely say too um i'm not entirely sure where, where you were looking at park bench because i thought you said the internal nothingness of the body but um,
2: he, says, he it says it right it, in that space uh, to dilate the body of my internal night, the internal nothingness of myself, which is night nothingness, thoughtlessness, and then it goes into the you know explosive affirmation bit.
1: I see, and you, I think you're you're taking this as kind of a body, um aside from a body is that correct
2: well i mean i don't know i I do buy what mal was saying as well actually but i I guess what i was trying to understand is just what we're holding a lot of different ideas about what the body could be in our discussion and you know i just thought it was interesting that we we settled on that thing to make room for my body but he does evoke the idea of a body before there's room for his body in a sense when he says that thing of the body of my internal night so what i was saying was that I feel that whenever he talks about his body, it's it's ne- connected to a negative notion. But then I guess I do also buy what Mal was saying that it it doesn't have to be that negative notion. In fact, it, it right following that, he does kind of almost say it doesn't have to be reduced to this stinking gas. My body is something else. Um, but I just I, I guess I was seeing that maybe there's a distinction between the body of my internal night and my body. There.
4: I, I think
0: um, the kind of circularity of that can be parsed as the the essence of the body is the the very possibility of the body. It, it's this explosion of possibility of being something other than the 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 organs that are so that are squeezed by God.
4: Yeah, and so the, I, I...
0: The body makes room for the body in the sense that it is the very possibility for itself. The the stripping away of of a uh, fixed organism.
1: Yeah, and I think if we kind of walk it back, right? um, They were words invented to define things that existed or did not exist in the face of the pressing pressing urgency of a need, which he um, explains. The need to abolish the idea, the idea and its myth, and to enthrone in its place the thundering manifestation of this explosive necessity to dilate the body of my internal might. So part of what we're seeing here, right, is he's talking about, I I think, that language um, that's standing outside of the language um, we're used to, right, the language that's fixed, if you will that stopped moving. And so that language is working um, to abolish the idea, the idea and its myth. To provide the dilating of the body of his internal night. One thing we might venture to look at before we go too much further in in pursuit of park um, benches, thinking here, what do you guys understand him saying when he says when he he looks at this explosive necessity as a dilating the body of my internal mind what does it mean to dilate that like what's going on in that that clarifying piece
0: i think what's being dilated is the space to be something other than a given temple
1: before you i'm not saying you're wrong could you elaborate just on what the, what dilating is? Expanding.
0: Like, it, it's, um, you know, under a, under a strong normative yoke, as such as one experiences on the analyst's couch, there is very little space to be something other than, a, you know, a, a set paradigm. There, there's not a of lot of wiggle room within Oedipus, nor indeed within really any psychiatric model that has ever been dominant. Um, Or, I think he would go further, within the judgment of God, within society at large, within conventional ways of thinking about ourselves, um, there just isn't a lot of space for being various things right it's it's very tight very restrictive so to open up the body um internal night is to open up this creative nothing to brush all that away and say no no no, we're we're not gonna marry ourselves to these restrictive concepts we're gonna open up more space more space for variation
1: and set them back in motion right in in that sense motion being an uh, and and large, because the, re- the reason I, I, I wanted to focus on that word is I've always heard it in a medical context. But I, I think you, you've you largely I, I agree with what you're saying there in terms of this expansion. And by that expansion, right, we're also moving toward the body, toward toward not even toward the body, um, toward what the narrator calls my body. It's very immediate in that sense. It's very connected and it's not a notion of the body um, apart from anything. Just like the horse and
4: the man. Hello, anybody still there?
2: Just processing.
1: Okay, I thought I lost the connection.
3: Nope. So still, still loud and clear.
2: I mean, I, I I keep making this very hackneyed point because it's all I can take from it. But I, I really I keep just thinking about the the image of thought and the very little I could grasp from it of Diluz talking about. The whole whole experience of consciousness and thinking and understanding oneself to be a thinking being and how much he opposes the idea of that being an active process and it being something that, you know, it can only happen through an encounter. That something has to happen to you through, you know, internally or in the world in some way to actually activate a whole series of things that ends up being what we call thinking which, which is the thing that is the precursor to thinking that you have a body or thinking anything really. So it, I, I do find it interesting where he's saying that this, but then, he, but then the fact that he says that and that formless you know ocean of whatever this is, this nothingness and these, the ocean where things would just be grunts and pre-articulated words and sounds and all of this is the very thing that makes for the conditions of possibility to have a body, which in like Deleuze's framework, he talks about stupidity like the inherent stupidity of thought before it actually is able to articulate itself. Like that, it, it, you can't get to that stage without having that initial, you know, formlessness and randomness and stupidity of thought rather than starting from a point of, you know, wholeness and intelligence or something. So I don't know, that, I keep coming back to that.
0: Do we want to read on? Because I, I think we, uh, we've re- reiterated a similar understanding of the body a few times.
4: Yeah, I
1: think we're good there. I, I think we've got a good grasp on what's going on with the the um, the nothingness of this, um within the self that he's um, he's talking about, and how that's going to make space for his body.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And in fact, reading further in the text, I, I essentially it's articulating the same things again. Uh, some. Uh, which I feel because it wants to get out the presence of my body, bodily suffering, et cetera, et cetera. The menacing, never tired presence of my body. It's a fun line.
1: Yeah. And, and I think this is, you know, when we talk about ritual too, we talk about the preliminal, the liminal, and the, um, I think it's the postliminal. liminal. Right. You know, when we're talking about these changing notions and everything, um, we're very much in the, the the liminal stage of it all, right? We're very much in that that changing and that fluidity that I think he's trying to um, to dance with us, um, particularly to dance with us, wrong side out. But in in terms of Picking up the uh, the test again, I think we left off at, um, what was it, the, the super superliminal? Yes. Um, where did we leave off? I think it was right around the presence of my body, however hard people press me with questions. Is, is that where we're at?
0: Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. There's a point at which I feel compelled to say no, no then to negation. And this point comes when they press me, when they pressure me, handle me. Till the exit from me of nourishment. What remains that I am suffocating.
1: Such lovely poetry right there.
2: See, but this is where it's interesting to me. This is why I was saying that the body is kind of you know, associated with this loss or a negativity for him because he says there, they pressed me until the idea of a body and the idea of being a body was suffocated in me. And it was then that I felt obscene, you know, that like it's, it's, it's a moment, you know, he, in a way, and I could be reading it wrong, but I feel like he he wants to be able to stay in that in, and just ruminate in that nothingness. But he keeps being forced to believe that he has a body and the mm-hmm. thing that saves him from it from it is just is that desiring machine really is that wait, thing that he wait. just he farts and it breaks that.
0: So I, I don't think he's being forced to believe that he has a body. He's being forced to repress the idea of a body and instead believe in the organs.
2: I see what you're saying. So you're saying repress suffocating, as in like they're they're pushing it down in him versus yes. okay, interesting.
1: I I actually see it a little bit differently. I'm seeing more like. There's a clear distinction between the body and my body and particularly a very stark um, contradistinction between my body and the idea of a body, which um, as I'm reading this here. It's the idea of a body, particularly the idea of being a body that is suffocating him.
0: Right. And and it's uh, that suffocation occurs on the pressure of. What he seems to be talking about as therapist there. Um, and the result of this, the suffocation of the idea of the body, is that he farts, which we've seen connected to the organ systems that uh, are related to God.
2: That's good. I think I definitely was misreading them because I, I kind of read it as just a poetic way. When they said suffocated in me, I hadn't even conceived, thought of it as pushing something down i thought that like suffocating somehow into his being that they were pressing it into him but i think you're right
1: yeah and that's exactly how i'm seeing it right like the 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 consequence of this conception of the body that he's being forced to understand him through is the suffocation of his body or the suffocating of it Mm -hmm.
0: yeah one thing one thing i think he's pretty consistent on is that he loves the body. He wants to live in the body um, and the organs his make body. that hard.
1: Yeah. His body, though, particularly. I think that's really vital here because I, I think what he's particularly upset about is that the idea of the body is in in and of itself not the idea of his body. Although I, I hate to call it the idea of his body. But that that, that contradistinction between the two um, elements there I think is Really, the tension that's suffocating him. I don't see that. Uh, The the distinction between his body and um, the body.
0: Yeah, I I think he's talking about his body in as much as as he's talking about his experience. But um, when they're pressing until the idea of a body is suffocated, they're, they're pressing against the idea of any body. Right. Which in this case is his.
2: Yeah, that seemed, I think that makes sense, actually.
1: See, I'm reading it like they at once deny and affirm the body. They press down on him, but in doing so, do so to deny it. Like it's at once real and made non-real.
0: I, I see no way in which uh, these assailants, I'll call them, are, um, are affirming the body. They're suffocating uh, the, idea, the very idea of the body. They're they're not letting him conceive himself in those terms.
1: Yeah, for me, it's the the, the connotations of them pressing him. But you know, I, I I see what you mean. Like that's not it's not necessarily the case right there.
2: What do you make of when he says here that they are pressing me to my body and to the very body? Because there's something happening there that I'm not following.
0: Let's see. I farted from folly and from excess and from revolt at my suffocation. So revolt at his suffocation. They were pressing me to my body. Um, I... I want to do another deleuze reading there, but I'm, I'm struggling to justify it in the text. But the, the idea I'm having is that here we find the distinction between the catatonic retreat to the body without organs and the schizophrenic experience of inclusive disjunction, which is still grounded in the body without organs. It's still a, a denial of the organ. Um, so he he's not being permitted the inclusive disjunction Um, he's being told nope you have a phallus you have an anus you have all these things you must live in this way and he's like fuck that and treats the body without organs to just kind of live in this unarticulated experience
4: yeah I,
1: i love your last point there about you know you you have to have an anus and phallus otherwise we can't understand you if i ask you if you should you have to say yes your no won't fit what we're, we're talking about, right? Cause I, um, park bench, I particularly read what you're reading there in light of the preceding lines where he says, um, right in reference to the negation at the questions. And this point comes when they press me, when they pressure me and when they handle me until the exit from me of nourishment of my nourishment and it's milk, right? He's being forced to shit right there. He can't have nourishment. He's—he's unfortunately—he's going to have—he's um, going to have to have to shit, being forced into that being that he's trying that he doesn't feel fits him. And actually,
0: taking a, another look at the the very last stanza before the conclusion, which I don't think we read, uh, reading it together with the previous, because they were pressing me to my body and to the very body. It was then that I exploded everything because my body can never be touched. So I I, I think I want to stand by my interpretation because um, exploding everything, well, that's that again sounds very catatonic. It's like, you know what? Fuck everything. Fuck the world. I'm just going to stick with this thing that you can't strangulate no matter how much you're trying.
1: Which is his body, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Which is the kind of like the the fundament of experience it is just raw experience uh without wow. having organization
2: it's interesting too because it seems to be a way of talking about being and i could see why it's so compelling for these thinkers because it's a beyond it's trying to get beyond the kind of like you know human humans Body their their golems with their being just rattling in their skull cage up at the top, you know, like it, the, the idea of idea the, body, of the body, is, body as opposed to maybe a traditional one of like the soul or something that's just this ethereal thing. Like the, there's the body is the whole consort, the cons. I can't never say that. What conjunct? I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's the whole cohort of. Well, not consciousness. It's like the cohort of all those experiences, like you're saying, Mel. That that are the ineffable sense of being oneself and everything beneath that as well the nothingness beneath that is, is the body that's kind of overlaid almost off center onto what we you know physically see and perceive as a body and that that is a thing that you know can't be touched and like you're, I think you're right that in, for him he he retreats into that pure and unarticulated experience i was just trying to understand as well this the the repetition there maybe it's just a a flare like a literary flare but when he says to my body and to the very body i just thought maybe there's some significance Mm. there that i'm missing it
1: does
0: does. seem to have a distinction there
1: i I see it as getting at um to use kind of the post-structuralist term i I see as kind of the problem of articulation right but in, in the very act of, um, or not articulation, but like enunciation, right? At, at, at one and the same time, he's being pressed, he's suffocating, he's forced to participate in the being of shitting. But at the same time, in, in doing so, right, his very body, which I think he's um, repeating there for emphasis, for, for repetition, and and, um, and then some, is at once still real for him, but at the same time, but at the same time forced into the, um, forced outside of the real, right? Like this is very much in some ways, paradigms clashing and, and, um, eclipsing the very enunciation he's trying to look for because by using the word body, he can't talk about his body without talking about, um, Shitting right, which which is symbolic of what just what he thinks of that that very um, pinned down meaning.
0: Yeah, I, I I agree that he's um, probably uh, just making an emphasis there rather than a a distinction. I do think he's saying two different things about the body in those two lines. Uh, first, he's very simply saying, "Oh, it's my body, the one that is mine." and in the second to the very body. And I think that is in the sense of this is the very body that they're trying to suffocate, right? This is the target of their persecution, but it's also his refuge.
1: Right. And that's the inversion that I think is, is occurring here is at one, the same time, that body is, his body is part of this and it's being for, it it can't be within um, that, that, that paradigm, right? The, the, as we call them, the interlocutors are looking for, right? Those negations are negations of, um, you know, you use the word template of of placing everything within that language, within, um, in in a larger sense, that metaphysics, if you will. Um, But at the same time, right, our toes also point out that because of that paradigm, they are incapable of pressing his body. Even as they press him with questions, they can't, touch what he um what he is. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah so basically they're forcing a decision on him. Well you can either accept the the organs um or you can retreat to the body like they're they're trying to separate these things from each other and he's saying well you know fuck you I'll retreat to the body
1: right but it's also the body outside of how they understand it.
0: Yeah it's it's the body as distinct from the organ.
1: Right, and I, I think the frustration that's going out, uh, going on here, is that um, because they can't touch that that body, in a, in a sense of being beyond um, the being of shitting, of eating, of of eroticism, right? Um, if you want to take that in Freudian terms, you could, but no, no matter what, that basic understanding doesn't touch his body. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think we can take this whole process to be a case study in uh, Deleuze and Guattari's conviction that capitalism manufactures schizophrenic in the clinical sense. That, that's literally what's being described here, a process by which the, the psychiatrist is forcing him to make a choice. And the choice that he opts for, a perfectly natural choice, is to become catatonic or to become the limb autistic rag that they talk about. Yeah. They have manufactured that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. You've got to, you know, I think to connect your point, right? This is the, the taking of sperm. Right. They didn't get our toe sperm as a child. But the larger point there we can say is that by by getting the sperm when they're young, both of the children going to school and their their very sperm to be artificially inseminated, right? This is generations of people being forced into that that very um, sense of being that people like our toe will probably be among the last to understand differently, the last to live differently at that, right? The, the notion of the body is absolutely going to change here. And to your point, be manufactured through these factories that are um, artificial insemination, right? In in some sense, we might say that the judgment of God isn't inseparable from that very um, manufacturing that very you know i'm calling it a paradigm but you know you could also call a metaphysics that's being forced through these words and the the um, stopping of it all the stopping when it gets to our toe it would rather force him into it um, than continue with him
2: shall we try and get through the conclusion
1: yes Let's, ha-
0: let's ask Arto to explain himself. Uh, so he is explaining the purpose of the broadcast, which is primarily to denounce certain social obscenities officially sanctioned and, uh, and acknowledged. That far, I think we can understand straightforwardly and have everything said. Um, but then he, he recounts the uh, sperm test. As, as something to be denounced. And um, he also denounces imperialism. And then his list seems to turn into a dialogue again, which is a very interesting choice.
1: If I could make a point too, this begins to really waver the lines of poetry, right? Because now this everything up to this point, I think, is, can safely be said to have been in verse. And this dialogue, I don't think, is continuing in verse, right? We're, I don't think this is going right now into, into poetry, although we might say it's about to pick up again. But, you know, from a, from a literary standpoint and a, um, a, a standpoint of understanding a, a drama, I think that's very important, right? Like that's the difference between Romeo and Juliet creating a sonnet and them just talking. Yeah, he
0: is definitely stepping outside of the play while staying within the play. It's it's a very interesting move. It's uh, it's an interview as if it were about the play rather than part of it.
1: Yeah, right. So we've got, you know, there's a very clear narrative device there, but it's also the lowering of language, right? we're coming down from poetry into prose, mm-hmm. and he, we're he's doing now, right, conclude. Go ahead.
0: He's now explored the areas where language is insufficient, and he's kind of bringing it back home for people who weren't able to follow him.
1: Right, and and you know, as a narrative device, right? Like in some ways, this reminds me of Plato and his Symposium, where you have a story within a story within a story. Right. It's a brilliant narrative device that um, someone who likes literature, you can't help but, you know, uh, salivate over. But in the same way, right here, we're introduced to the character of Mr. Artaud. You know, this metatextually, this functions extremely um, intriguingly.
0: Yeah, it seems to be uh, kind of him owning up to ha- to. To being the author, to having a personal stake in everything that has been said.
1: Yeah, but doing it within the text, right? Like this is at once, you know, again, to use kind of the one way of looking at it, is this is very much a blurring of the lines, right? This isn't like when we read Dante's Divine Comedy and we have Dante the narrator and Dante the character and then Dante the person kind of very clearly outside of each other. I think what Artaud is doing here is once is calling attention to this performance um, in terms of himself, the character, in terms of himself, the, um, the performer, and in terms of himself, kind of outside of that, um, although I, I'd hate to kind of go that route because it tends to kind of go more psychoanalytically, but there's this clear blurring of the lines again.
0: I wonder if uh, in the original recording, this might even have closely resembled a like break, like almost as if to fool the audience into thinking it's a separate interview after.
2: Well, it does resume into pro- poetry kind of at the end. So you might be right.
1: Correct. He has, you know, in, in, in concluding, he has to elevate his language again. Um, we might say that the the, the person he's talking with um, doesn't really understand what he's saying here. And, and, and even if he does, to explain the principle of cruelty that he's going to discuss is going to take some poetry. Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I, I'm, I'm just imagining the experience of listening to it uh, as a listener. Like, pres- this might even be like a, a second actor, or another voice coming in and saying, and what was the purpose of the book? Uh, so that's, as the listener, I'm like, oh, okay, now he's going to explain what the fuck just happened. Uh, we're out of the play now, and then, like slowly, bit by bit, we start to realize: wait, no, this is still the play.
1: Exactly, and as the audience, you know, this the, to me, this is sort of a hyper awareness that often characterizes um, post post structuralism, but more so post modern texts. Has anyone here ever read um, Italo Calvino's um, "If on a Winter's Night"? Nope. The book starts something like this. You are about to read Italo Calvino's new novel, If on a Winter's Night a Traveler. Make sure you close your door, pop up your feet, and have somewhere comfy to sit as you read Italo Calvino's If on a Winter's Night a Traveler. You better make yourself a cup of tea as you're reading. It, you know, it, it's very, very aware of the textuality of the text, but also that it's being read by someone and it's pulling us as the audience, right? It's not just pulling us into the story, but it's making us more aware of the text and of the text that we're participating in, in a larger sense. Again, it's moving outward rather than within. So to move back in, uh, they actually move back out. No, no. To move back in uh, the
0: actual text in front of us, um, let's let's see what we can pull out of the uh, the conclusion rather than the structure of it. So I, I think we've said about the structure.
2: Yeah. So he he. We have the initial two things that he's denouncing. Then he's saying that he himself has some bizarre things to say. And he's like, no, no, this is important because the pre-Columbian Indians were strangely civilized because they had a civilization based on cruelty, which obviously must be connected to the theater of cruelty, which isn't exactly cruelty, but it kind of is. And he clarifies below saying cruelty means eradicating by means of blood and until blood flows, God, the bestial accident of unconscious human animality, wherever one can find it. So that does feel like a consummation of a lot of the themes that we've been looking at.
0: Yeah, you know what? That line makes so much more sense now than when I read this a few days ago.
1: Yeah, and you can see that horse outflowing with blood, right? That man letting blood out onto the horseshoe, right? We we mm-hmm. are, I think, doing away with um, bestiality. I, I shouldn't use that word. With animalism. Um, eroticism. yeah. Go ahead. Um, no, I was just
0: agreeing.
1: Right, and we're we're not doing away with it to go into a form of decivilization. He's talking about a whole alternative civilization um, that's been savageized, but uh, doesn't exist in, in that paradigm. Can't be understood that way because it's not present there. Much like his body isn't present in the notions of the body being forced on him.
2: This is tangential, but I can't help but thinking that it would be really interesting to approach this from a post-colonial perspective because there is a little bit of just having read a little bit about his life and what he's doing here. You know, I, I want to give him as much credit as possible, but it's really interesting to think about th- the pre-Columbian Indians. I mean, that's like you're talking about hundreds, if not thousands of different kinds of groups yeah people and civilizations but you know there's this because i was reading about his ventures to mexico and his mentors and the lectures he was going to about you know the fall of western civilization and participating in the rights of the uh the Teruhamari, i think and i could definitely see an aspect of a kind of as much as he's critiquing these things a kind of a state of nature you know fetishization of what he's seeing what he believes he's seeing in this contact with indigenous you know, one or two indigenous cultures. But yeah, it's yeah. just something yeah. to keep in mind.
0: He seems to be trying to do what a lot of people in this area at this time were doing, which is diagnosing the problems of his own society. And he's, he's I think, drawn probably an apt contrast between those problems and something he saw hints of in his travels. But then he's just kind of like assuming that like, oh, you know, the pre-Columbian Indians writ large, don't have these problems, which on the one hand is overgeneralizing and on the other hand is missing the fact that they might have their own problem.
1: Right. And I think it's important to understand, I don't read him here as trying to, trying to appropriate anything. I, I read him as very strongly saying um, that there's a notion of civilization alternative to this one that operates under cruelty, which is... I think the crux of what he's getting at, right?
0: Yeah. He, uh, he doesn't want to, you know, copy all the culture and rituals, pre-Columbian Indians. He wants to learn from what he's seen, um, yeah, copy the, the spirit of it, or at least a part of the spirit of it.
1: Right. Cause you know, he, he's participated in, in some of these rituals, I think. And, you know, this is, in some way this is like his report on that. Um, I do see what you mean, right? Pre-Columbian Indians is a, a, absolutely a generalization, but
2: I think we should you know, just keep like, it in mind, like a memento mori. You know, like the same way that Deleuze and Guattari, we could we could spend all day kind of explaining why Freud said this or that, but then you know Deleuze and Guattari make this intervention, saying, "All right, but that's not helpful for the X, Y, and Z reasons." I'm, I think we should absolutely read this on its own terms and try and understand what he's saying. But I would definitely be interested in a kind of postscript that is like, okay, well, what, what is the issue with, there's, there's a whole history of how I don't even mean from kind of like big R racism. I mean, epistemologically of trying to, it, there's a whole, you know, war of civilizations kind of like mentality of like, well, there's this civilization and that civilization and they're diametrically opposed. There's all kinds of intellectual problems you get into that before you even get to appropriating. So I just, I just thought maybe keeping that in mind because it's a very, it almost reads like very dated to think about ah yes the old civilizations based on cruelty and sacrifice and and just reading about his life that was something he was preoccupied with at this time Mm -hmm. and those narratives were up and coming in ethnography and anthropology at that time so it does explain it but i I wonder if there's a way to almost improve upon it you know in in a postscript that was all i was saying but we can continue yeah
1: yeah I, i like where you're going with that um So
0: he uh, gives a definition of cruelty, which we, we read, and I think we're we basically already explained it, right? In our exegesis of everything that came before eradicating by means of blood and until blood flows, God. We understand to be this kind of repressive system, um, a bestial accident of unconscious human animality. Um, and this is echoing once again. Fleeing, being eaten by the animals, and learning to eat like an animal. Um, Man, when he is not restrained, so I would interpret that as basically not being under God, uh, is an erotic animal. He has in him an inspired shudder, a kind of pulsation that produces animals without number, which are the form that the ancient tribes of the earth
4: universally attributed to God. There's a lot happening. but he's invoking some kind of idea of multiplicity.
1: Well, why don't we, um, how, how are you guys understanding cruelty here? I'm looking I was for at 12.7. Go ahead.
2: Well, just just again, from my background reading and reading the Derrida does well, there's a there's a section in the Derrida piece where he talks about what does Arto mean by cruelty and, and his contention is sort of, the idea, I can even just read it from here, as the idea of cruelty as necessity and rigor. So that's a kind of implacable intention and decision. Uh, he says irreversible and absolute determination, submission to necessity under the heading of cruelty. So not necessarily sadism, horror, bloodshed, etc. Although, and he notes, you know, there it's entirely possible for this to end up actually having to do with violence so when i first read the cruelty bit again today i was thinking that like okay let me think about this in another way but he seems to be kind of evoking both at the same time because there's very clear images of the blood and of the idea of sacrifice and, and all these things in this so I, maybe it's i feel like it's kind of both of those things at the same time
0: yeah it, my understanding of the Artodian notion of cruelty is that it's basically like shocking you back into experience. It's um, it's forcing you to experience in a way inarticulable by these, this this uh, order of God this fulminating order that, um, the, the the organs and the the Christian society that you know.
1: Let me try that a little differently. Where is cruelty in this piece?
0: So I think he uh, is describing an act of cruelty through the ritual. Um, I think some of the, um, I think the non-linguistic noises we know, although we might not have heard it, that the original production had lots of. Disturbing noises, besides what we see in the dialogue, I think that would be cruelty. Even something meant to evoke experience. I think the kind of just generally delirious delivery of the text is again an act of cruelty. It's it's an invitation to follow along in something beyond the words themselves.
1: Let me and let me try and open that up a little bit. Right, we're reading about cruelty now explicitly having been um, made aware of our status as um, audience, right? I I like what you guys are saying about um, cruelty as affecting the audience. And one of the ways I think that's really important to look at this work is very much how it's affecting you. Um, let Let me say this then in regards to cruelty. One would be tempted to say that there's a cruelty that the um, the character is subjected to in denial of of his body and being forced into this regiment, this metaphysics, right? Um, As I'm trying to use the word, this ontology as shitting. And yet this isn't the cruelty he's talking about. He's talking about what would be cruel is for that notion of ontology, for those people questioning him to be forced to experience what he's experiencing, I think, to be brought in to that flow outside of that stagnation.
0: Well, I, I think you're reading negativity into the word cruelty that Arto does not give it. It's, right, it's and not that's,
1: that, that's cr- why I'm cruel. saying it, it's not cruelty as we understand it, right? The, you know, what he was being subjected to, that's not the cruelty that he's talking about here so like no
0: part of the cruelty that he's talking about is i think he would understand it as being more like kindness it's something good although i think he'd shy away from value judgment precisely like that
1: yeah there's there's a service here right that we can understand through the medium of um audience and play through the audience's relationship to the um the players, if you will. But, you know, what what I'm trying to show here, too, is that that notion of cruelty is um, at once being looked at and done away with. Right. We have kind of to demonstrate what he's trying to get at is, um, I think, in some ways accomplished by what he's doing with the word cruelty here or the concept of cruelty behind that word.
4: I didn't quite follow. Um, So let
1: me try that again. Right here by by consciously. So I'm trying to juxtapose the notion of cruelty. I think we come into play with as the audience. Right. And we see all these acts of um, what we would be tempted to call cruel. Right. It would seem cruel to subject someone to that um, that notion of being, to that metaphysics, to forcing them into, say, the Freudian paradigm, despite them being so far outside of it. Yet, I think it's also important to understand that when he's calling attention here and he's turning on the switch, if you will, um, the, the lights in the theater to show us the audience before the player in that relationship, he's also doing so to turn the cruelty around, that that's not the cruelty as he's looking to it. Uh, that's not cruelty at all for Arto. For him, the cruelty would be the moving out of that paradigm, out of that metaphysics, and, and sort of articulating with him that that pre-verbal language. The reason I want to call attention to that is because when we think about cruelty, right, like in a lot of ways it's not cruelty is not forcing someone into your paradigm and all that. It's um, asking you to leave that paradigm. Cruelty is the point of departure out of it. Cruelty is a kind of suffering out of that paradigm, which is why it's, I think, you know, to, to think about this all right, there's a sort of a propugnance, but that's, that's the beginnings of the cruelty that he wants us to kind of, I, I think, move with.
2: Shall we? Um. At this rate, we're gonna go for three hours. Shall we try and kind of move through these last sections?
0: Yes. I, I, I. think. I think we
4: have a solid understanding of what he. I like, ruled. Um. So going back
0: to uh, what what I had read, um, man, when he is not restrained, is an erotic animal. Uh, has in him. An fired shutter that produces animals without number, which are the form that the ancient tribes of the earth universally treated God. This created what is called a spirit. So this is, he's invoking some kind of multiplicity and saying that it is, that the ancient tribes attributed it to God, which seems to me to be a new
4: use of God. Or it might be this. I'm not entirely following
1: what he's doing. So I, I think it's helpful to kind of walk it through again. So, like, I think we can fairly say that he's against this notion of the the erotic animal. Um, and, and the notion of restraint is going to come up again when we see that Arto is ready for the uh, straitjacket. So like restraint has a very ambivalent relationship here. It's not, it, it's a moving target in terms of whether or not it's it's um, good or bad. Hmm. That, that is
0: interesting. I, I had been reading restraint as a bad thing to do away with.
1: I think part of it is like, you know, I, I'm trying to call attention to a larger paradigm. Right. And so restraint here is actually, I think, kind of part of the whole thing. Right. This is a. Under what he's sort of talking about, restraints actually kind of positivist here, um, because otherwise would be erotic animals.
0: Yeah. But is that a bad thing? I'm, I'm not buying that that's. a
1: Yeah. And, you know, there's that old saying, right, one foot in the grave, one foot out. Like with toe, you're kind of stepping in, you're standing in two places at once. It almost feels like, which is how powerful his, his work is. I think it really impinges you and forces you to kind of understand where you're standing um, relative to other places you could be standing. But I think what he's trying to move away from, I, I think he's unpacking something.
2: Well, to me, I kind of saw that as, you know, that that pre-Columbian state that he's sort of fetishizing here. I th- I saw it as it is, a, you know, it's a, it's a good thing they say that he's saying that the it's that pulsation, that inspired shudder. These tribes used to call it God, but this was, you know, this spirit, and now it's reappearing all over the world under scientific poses that are. You know, I don't know. Like I think, I feel like he's saying there's a there's a potential in that originary idea of spirit that is becoming, yeah, now it's inf- it's infectious. It's becoming a marked condition of vice that I, populates I, with I, disease and all that.
1: I, you know, I'm I'm having trouble with that because I don't think he. I think what's tough here is it seems like he's both there's a positive view of this, but there's also a negative view immediately following. Like, I think if you look right, like that produces animals without number, which are the form that the ancient tribes of the earth universally attributed to God. Right. Which is, I think kind of what we're trying to do away with. Mm -hmm. So like, I think, I think how I'm kind of understanding this is that he's pointing out that um, in a similar way to, Western civilization understand the tribes, they had a means of understanding Western civilization, or at least what Western civilization takes on. So, like, if we're doing away with the judgment of God, right, I think what's kind of the trick here is that the American Indians are, have had a way of understanding it and doing away with it that he's trying to um, express to us
0: yeah and i it's it's interesting he he is identifying science as kind of rediscovering it maybe not recognizing though um the the scientific poses and and maybe we should uh read a little further into what those are because they might be more um familiar to us scientific poses that merely accentuate its morbid infectious power a vice that pollulates with disease. Because laugh if you like, what has been called microbes is God. You know what the Americans and the Russians use to make their atoms? They make them with the microbes of God. So this is calling back the, um, the, the kind of belligerence uh, attributed to the Americans in the very opening. And taking as the the material for this manufacture of weapon, a microorganism, a tiny little thing that uh, is nothing other than God, which again we've seen is with um, with, with organs, with fixed organization, with judgment.
4: Yeah. And I, I,
1: you know, I made the point yesterday that I think our, for our toe, uh, Americans and Russians might not be so different. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, part of what he's calling to, you know, despite the whole capitalist socialist thing, right? This, this is still him saying that both of them use weapon, use things constructed with the, uh, the microbes of God to a face, um, and to both construct and thereby can constructing a face like you know again it's definitely not a good spirit
0: uh an inspired shudder, a kind of pulsation that produces animals without number that's an orgasm
1: yes you know i think there's a part too where he says like we're we're the only place where people still talk of god which you know is exactly what you're pointing out too um you know the, the even i think um there's there you, one could joke about the atheist saying, you know, going to an orgasm saying, Oh my God, it's just such a common thing mm.
0: so it's it's this uh reproduction it's it's the sperm uh, that is attributed to God, this created what is called spirit.
2: you know what that's funny because that actually makes it I feel that actually helps it make sense so much more because yeah the, this inspired shudder, which is the kind of ejaculation moment produces animals without number you know these ancient tribes supposedly they attributed this force this life force to god creating spirit all this other stuff that kind of links back to the beginning you know and the whole analogy of the you know artificial insemination and the taking of sperm and all that so that actually that kind of helps me a lot right so this uh, taking of sperm which is now
0: in a second way equating with the manufacture of weapons Um, is it's the basis of this uh, this preparation for war
2: yeah so I think in that sense it probably is a definitively negative thing for him yeah
1: part of it is to first of all I love what you're doing with sperm here um, which is something I never thought I'd say Um, (laughs) I'm not even sure how to that will be interesting. Listen to the recording later. Uh, hi, future me. Um, anyways, I think part of it too, right? Like we're seeing a movement of that, that idea of sperm, right? It used to be animals for the, um, for how our to understands the American Indians. Now it's the scientific manufacturing, right? Which is at once constructing, right? We're constructing atoms with it, but we're also using that to a face to destroy
0: Yeah, so I I think kind of to interpret him as operating at kind of a symbolic level, it's the appropriation of sexuality, the appropriation of raw experience, which could be virginal even while being carnal, um, that is used to lay the groundwork for war.
1: Right, and it's not just a war in the, the physical sense. You know, this is very much a war against... Um, and, you know, the easy way to say it is it's a war against alterity, right? It's, yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's, con- it's being conservative as far as you can go in that sense, making sure yeah, nothing Americans. moves again. Go ahead.
0: The Americans and the Russians make their atoms. That is to say, of course, they're bomb with the microbes of God. So they're, they're building weapons out of this hate of the other, this hate of difference of deviance. They're building right. their weapons out of the judgment of
1: God. Right. And in a large sense, it's because they would have to expand, they would have to allow everything to flow, right? If we want to connect this to, um, you know, Heil and all that. Um, in, in, in some sense, I see the, the simple resolution is just allowing that flowing movement, right? But because you've got that, that polarization, everything, you've got these paradigms that can't flow between one another. Um, You know, you can only have the invocation of, of, or the uh, recapitulation of God to efface alterity, to to at once construct it and do away with it in a larger, less linguistic sense.
0: So, reading further, uh, he denies being mad, he denies raving says they have reinvented microbes in order to impose a new idea of God. So this is, again, a re- it's the same thing in new form. Um, this is to nail him through the heart, a place where men love him best under the guise of unhealthy sexuality, in that sinister appearance of morbid cruelty that he adopts whenever he is pleased to tetanize and madden
4: humanity as he is doing Dense. Hmm. Any thoughts there? So Think.
0: I think, I'm not sure where the place that men love God best is.
4: Bring out God into capture Nail him through the heart.
1: So hold on a second. So right, I tell you they have reinvented microbes in order to impose a new idea of God. They have found a new way to bring out God and to capture him in his microbe not right again we've got that stinky gas yeah Um, this is to nail him through the heart right so again we've got that cross which is very apt way to understand jesus right the heart the cross super connected for christians um but this is to nail him through the crop uh this is to nail him through the heart in the place where men love him best under the guise of unhealthy sexuality in that sinister appearance of morbid cruelty that he adopts whenever he is pleased to tetanize and madden humanity, as he is doing now. Sorry, Jack, I think are you I'm... getting
0: private messages.
1: Man, I get messages all day.
0: <laughs> they're they're uh, coming through the mic.
4: I apologize.
0: um so the the heart is where men love god best getting this nailing is occurring under the guise of we're going to attack this penetrate it by invoking this concept of unhealthy sexuality
1: Yeah, for me, I read it in terms of demarcating love and lust and then uh, sort of doing the doing sort of another sleight of hand whereby you can um, demarcate acceptable lust and unacceptable lust and acceptable love and unacceptable love and try to also separate them at the same time.
4: yeah, I might just have to give up on the paragraph. Well, we might say that's sort of a
1: sadistic reference, right? That is to nail him through the heart in the place where men love him best, under the guise of unhealthy sexuality. You know, in some ways, to me, this almost sounds like um, being a sadist while still denouncing sadism.
2: I mean, does it connect earlier to the Eucharist thing where you said there's no more pernicious form of eroticism than this mass and Jesus descending to the altar, and people you know my what I would say is people consuming him and you know
1: I think there's definitely a consistency in in the the sort of anti-eroticism. Let me ask you this. The the use of cruelty right there. Right, obviously cruelty is is an integral part of his work. Um how do you guys interact with
4: it there? So It's cruelty that
0: God is adopting uh, in order to madden humanity. Um, I
4: don't know. I I really can't get anything out of the paragraph.
2: I'm fading, you guys. <laughs> I want to get to this end, but i i am my brain is melting. Yeah, let's let's
0: uh, let's move on and see how much sense we can make of the rest of it. Uh, he uses, the, utilizes the spirit of purity and of a consciousness that has remained candid, like mine. That's interesting. So he is possibly connecting God's cruelty to his own cruelty here, to asphyxiate it with all the false appearances that he spreads universally. Through. Face. And this is why Artaud Le Momon can be taken for a person suffering. And then the uh, interlocutor also doesn't understand. What do you mean, Mr. Otto? I mean that I have found the way to put an end to this ape once and for all, and that nobody believes, and that although nobody believes in God anymore, everybody believes more and more in man. So it is man whom we must now make up our minds to emasculate.
4: Awesome response.
0: Yeah, so he's he's trying to do away with man, which seems to be just kind of a rearticulation of God, right? I I think he's drawing that equivalence here.
1: I think part of it too is like, right, we had the the um was it the god molecule, I think he calls it or the god micro like whatever it was um microbes of god microbes of god thank you part of it i think is too he's trying to get away from that um sort of atomic approach to atoms
4: so he explains how
0: after being asked how we emasculate man and uh, here, here we finally get to uh, he's going to say the thing by placing him again for the last time on the autopsy table to remake his anatomy. I say to remake his anatomy. Man is sick because he is badly constructed. We must make up our minds to strip him bare in order to scrape off that animal cure that itches him mortally God and with God, his organ. You can tie me up if you wish, but there is nothing more useless than an organ. When you will have made him a body without organs, then you will have delivered from him from all his automatic reactions, restored him to his true freedom. Then they will teach him They, they you? Is that a misprint? Then you will teach him again to dance wrong side out, as in the frenzy of dance halls, and this wrong side out will be his real place. I know I've, I just read a big chunk. But uh,
4: what jumps out from that conclusion?
1: As I read him, one, I would point out that in some ways he reminds me of Nietzsche here. I don't think he's trying to destroy um, God, right? I think he's trying to set God back into motions, and for him... Uh, that's going to be a God without organs, right? And God is male here, um, oddly enough. Look at God. Mm. I don't have that reading. I guess I should step back, right? That animal, the erotic man and everything. I see a lot of stuff trying to be set back into motion. Um, at least I think that's what he's getting at.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I th- so to scrape off that animal fuel, which is just the same thing as god we've seen god being kind of the principle of the organs um so it it is it is god which for toe represents the
4: kind of fixed anatomy to which we are all subject
0: This anatomy, not just being, you know, a diagram of here's your liver, here's your anus, but uh, kind of the configuration of the the ways we must be in the world. Uh, by by removing this, we are delivered from automatic reactions and restored to true freedom. We're permitted to confuse ourselves with the horse that we're leading and the sun in the sky. Where um, We're able to experience things in this way that is not bounded by these fixed systems of organization.
1: Yeah, I I think you're on to it. Um, Do you guys know what the, um, I mean, it's pronounced the Imagio Dehi is? No. Um, The Imagio Dehi is the idea that you are made in the image of God. Uh, And I think that's really the trick here. That's what we're going to be put on the operating table for one last time to have removed that very notion.
0: Yeah, you know, the, the being made in the image of God, that that may be why he's making this connection. That's, that's a good point.
1: That and that's I think what he's getting at is that's the that very thing is what's used to explain everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what the Russians use and that's what the Americans use. Um, you know, to efface and it simultaneously construct, right, to, to stop everything while it is in motion. Um, yep. Right. And so I think what we're doing here is then um, by doing away with that, right, by getting away from, like, the idea that everything can be explained that way and sort of weaponized by that invocation, uh, we can dance wrong side out again, or be talked to mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and, and dancing wrong side out being wrong from the standpoint of God's judgment. Uh, that is to say, it's, it's a way of dancing. That is forbidden. It's uh we're suddenly picking up footloose vibes here.
1: More or less. Yeah. That says pretty much what I'm getting too right. It's the frenzy, you know, we'll be able to have, um, you know, we'll be able to have uh, something that's not so animalistically erotic, as he might say.
0: So, by doing away with God, the image of God, the the fixed anatomy, uh, according to which we are constructed, we are able to cut loose, foot loose, and kick off our Sunday shoes.
2: Yes.
1: Yeah, that's. I think that's how I'm getting it too. Is um, right? If you do that, you can set that metaphysics back in motion.
2: I second that emotion.
4: I see what you did there.
0: Any closing thoughts?
2: I think this is going to need a more unpacking for this final section, but I don't think we should have another session. I think it's just something to sort of think over and maybe we can, you know, have some chats in, in the just chat room about it.
0: Yeah. I, I think we've, uh, read it as closely as we can. We just need to digest it.
1: You know, one thing for me too, though, it's sort of hard for me to see our as a, a full-out, um, like I, 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 have a hard time seeing him as, um, you know, like, uh, somebody brought up Derrida and I think that's very apt because I don't think what he's talking about exactly connects in some familiar sense of language. Well, one thing I'd be really interested to look at um especially having discussed the Amaho, uh the amahi dehi Amagio dehi where he um where he writes is God a being if he is one he is shit it's really interesting to me that the translator used the capital g god there but absolutely nowhere else so I'd be really I think there's one of the go ahead.
0: I think there's one place we see it in all
4: caps.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at, is God a being? If he is one, he is shit. If he is not one, he does not exist, right? That's the only place we see God written with a capital G. But you're right, we do see all caps God.
2: I see it in, is God a being early on in the text? There's a capital G.
0: Yeah, that's the one place we're talking about.
4: Yeah,
1: right, and, right. and that's the only instance with the capital G.
0: Nothing immediately cursed me as to how to interpret that.
2: Well, that is a mystery for another day, folks, because I am going to head off. But it's been lovely talking to you and read all this. I think in a weird subconscious way, it's going to inform a lot of the anti-Oedipus moving forward. So mm-hmm. thank you for that.
0: Yeah, I think we can interpret... Most of chapter two as describing the judgment of God as roughly as our toe would leave it, or at least in a way compatible with our toe.
2: If it helps, you guys in the next session,
1: if it helps too, check out some of um, you know, I, I sent out that um, song using pre verbal language. Uh, maybe give some of that a listen just to kind of see how that um, kind of comes alive too. How you react to it? Hmm.
3: Well,
0: was lovely chatting with you. I am also gonna. Think.
1: It's been real.